We'll hear argument next to number 99401, California Democratic Party versus Bill Jones. Mr. Waters. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, this case presents the question whether the State of California can force political parties to choose their nominees for public office through a blanket primary system, which is expressly designed to produce more moderate nominees than those that are favored by the parties themselves. Under California law, the only means by which a party can nominate its candidates for the ballot is through the blanket primary system. Blanket primary makes the issue of party affiliation and ideology irrelevant. It allows any voter to cross party lines and to vote in several different party primaries at the very same election. It is a wholesale assault on the party, political party's First Amendment right to choose a standard better bearer who best represents the party's ideology. This case is a direct descendant of this Court's decision in Tashtian which held that uh, a con- Connecticut could not f- enforce a closed primary law on a party that sought to open its, uh, its primary to independent voters. Now, uh, open primaries differ from the uh, blanket primary system imposed here? They differ significantly, uh, Your Honor. In California, to, to begin with the open primary, the generic open primary uh, exists in a state where there is no party registration Voters come to the to the um, to the polling place. If they're registered, they go into the polling place, and in a classic open primary state, I believe that they are given the uh, the ballots of any political party, and they make a choice of which party that they vote in. Well, but they vote within a party, Your Honor. If if we agreed with you here on the blanket primary thing, uh, wouldn't we be casting some doubt on the open primary system as well? I don't, I, don't, I don't think so, Your Honor, and I, I think that there are quantitative and qualitative decisions, differences here between an open primary and a blanket primary. And if I, if I could go into that. I think the qualitative difference is that suggested by Justice Powell in his dissent in the La Follette case, uh, which involved another issue, but in which Justice Powell discussed at some length the, the issue of the validity or the constitutionality of uh, open and uh, closed primaries. And Justice Powell's position there was that what the, what the First Amendment guarantees to the parties is the right to have uh, to limit their nominating process to voters who affiliate with the party. He said the question uh, presented in that case, which dealt with Wisconsin, an open primary state, was whether there was an act of affiliation. What Justice Powell said is when a Wisconsin voter chooses the, the ballot of a Democratic or Republican party, that in itself is an act of affiliation because that voter 
is choosing to limit him himself or herself to the to the nomina, to the nominees of one party. But isn't that just a matter of degree? Because uh, simply because the decision can be made on the spur of the moment when the voter gets to the polls. The only right that the voter has in the open primary state that the voter does not have in the blanket primary state uh, is is the kind of mix and match right. Uh, if if the if the voter who has traditionally been either not registered or registered as a Republican takes a Democratic ballot in the open primary state, there's no more affiliation between that voter and the party than there is. Uh, uh, the, the voter who, under the blanket system, chooses to vote for in the Democratic primary for, for governor and the Republican primary for state treasurer. Well, well, I disagree with that, Your Honor. Well, I, I think that um, the history of, of the American regulation of, politi- of political parties is, is distinct. And what we have is a history where the, the government in virtually every state has, has operated to try and make it easy for people to affiliate with a party. But in states that have party systems, and California has a party system, and Proposition 198 itself, when you register to vote, it's, it's in Proposition 198, you actually state that you affiliate with a political party. The fact that uh, — But I isn't that a pretty empty formality? I, th- I think it is not. I think it is not. I think the Constitution means something, and I think that the Constitution means that a party has a right to limit its nominating process to — to people who affiliate with affiliate with it in some okay. sense, I would Let, prefer to have take, higher let's take, the, let's take the example of the party that says we we want our affiliates to be real affiliates, uh, and therefore we want them to have registered as such at least six months before the primary or two months before the primary. Uh, uh, leaving aside the question of, of late voter registration for reasons of transience. Uh, and and in a case in in a state in which the um, the, the state law is well. You can't require a 30-day affiliation. You can't require anything more than an instantaneous affiliation. Isn't the sense of affiliation just as ephemeral there as is the sense of affiliation uh, between, in a blanket primary state, the the fellow who walks in and says, I guess I'll vote for a Democrat for governor and a Republican uh, in the treasurer's race? Well, well, no. I mean, I just disagree with that, Your Honor. I think that there is a difference between affiliating – First of all, I think one has to assume that in the American system that most voters operate in, in good faith, that the, when they are making it, when they choose a party ballot, that they are choose, choosing that for a reason, that the, the Republican ballot means something to them, a Democratic or a Libertarian ballot means something to well, them. Well, you, you, you may be right on that, in, in which case I take it your argument is, look, we're going to operate on the, on the premise that an affiliation, even a last-minute one, is at least a bona fide affiliation uh, and good enough. I think we have to do that. And that's different from no affiliation. I I, I think we have to do that to distinguish the blanket primary from the open primary. I mean, personally, I would uh, would, uh, much prefer, as with the parties before you in this case, uh, prefer to have a more significant gesture of affiliation in California. Suppose suppose California had a nonpartisan blanket primary. Suppose it, it said, we're not going to try to choose a party's candidate, but there isn't there's not going to be that kind of primary. It's going to be a nonpartisan primary. Would you have any constitutional objection that you could make if Proposition 198 had been for a nonpartisan 
primary instead of a partisan primary? I believe the constitutional issue which we're bringing to you today would not exist there, because I, I think in that, in that case, the state would not be commandeering the parties as a vehicle for to blend political ideologies together. California, indeed, has a nonpartisan nominating system for the vast majority of races, those that are not for Congress, uh, Senate, the Assembly, and statewide. And there, and there is, indeed, one statewide office, a superintendent of public instruction, that is elected through um, a nonpartisan primary. <coughs> Does any state other than, we're told, Louisiana have such a nonpartisan system for statewide offices? Uh, not that I know of. I, 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 I believe the answer to that is no, although I will say that the, the evidence at trial did not um, explore that, perhaps, in, uh, in great depth. I mean, the, as petitioners, we, uh, as plaintiffs, we did not go into great depth in, in other states. One, one thing about Louisiana, because Your Honor just brought it up, which I think is distinctive, I think Louisiana is a blend. It, it, it presents yet another issue here in that it, it is a nonpartisan primary there in the sense that um, only two uh, the two highest vote getters go on to the to the general election however party labels are used on the ballot there uh, the, the, the candidates have their names followed by Democrat and Republican or whatever I think that Louisiana might might present a different issue and that is the use of, of a party label in their race but not the issue that is presented here are you is, is it a consequence of your answer to Justice Ginsburg that a state really can do by way of ballot access if it's clever enough what it cannot do by way of a blanket primary scheme I, I, I don't understand the let's a, let's assume that uh, in a in a uh, ballot access they had a ballot access law saying uh, we will let the the top four vote getters in the primary, without reference to uh, uh, to party affiliation, we'll let the top four, four vote getters in a primary be on the ballot in the general election. Uh, I, I take it your answer to Justice Ginsburg is that a state may do that. It is. It is indeed, sir. Okay. Uh, wouldn't the the uh, result in practice come out? in effect, to uh, a, a, a series of choices which are more or less the equivalent of what the voters can do under the blanket primary scheme? Well, I, I think the result may or may, or may not be uh, similar to that. I think that in the situation you're describing, uh, the difference, if, if California were to go toward a, um, a nonpartisan primary system, um, there, there would be, a, at first, a significant difference. First of all, it's very, uh, it's not, there would have to be some relatively easy m means for, for people to get on the primary ballot, which, which is indeed the case now for California nonpartisan race, or, yes, for California nonpartisan races. I mean, there would have to be some loosening up. I mean, it's very hard for an independent candidate in California to get on the general uh, uh, election ballot. Uh, the whole system is designed to force people into the party system. If they went nonpartisan, I assume that it would be a result of that. Would it would also there would have to be relatively easy access to getting on the primary ballot. And at that point, I think each party would have the access. I think there might be access uh, questions, but they'd have to have a way to, to get on there somehow. Candidates have to get on the primary ballot. What happens after that? might present a whole range of issues. But the, the point is that those people, that the California would not, in a sense, be renting the parties to, to use their names uh, to promote uh, false candidates. I mean, that is not so a you, it, it, boil, it boils down to two things. A state cannot, in effect, allow a person uh, to say, I am a Democrat, when there has been no active affiliation 
And number two, we will assume that acts of affiliation are basically uh, acts in good faith. Yes, and, and on the first one, it's not just that there's been no act of affiliation, but in, indeed, uh, under, under Proposition 198 itself, when people register to vote, they are invited to make an affiliation with, a, with another party. It's just not no act of affiliation, but as the evidence in this case suggested, where Mervyn Field, the uh, leading pollster in California, testified before trial that his polls at that point suggested that 30 percent of registered Republicans would cross over. It's just that it's, it's not just a lack of affiliation. These are actually voters who have, have, have signed a registration um, in another party. Mr. Walters, maybe I misunderstood the Hashian case, but I thought that the Republican position there was we are not claiming that these independents that we want to open our primary to are affiliating with our party. We just want to appeal to them and extend our um, audience to people that we know uh, consider themselves independent. I thought that was the argument that was made, not that they were, in, in, in effect, making an affiliation with the Republican Party. Well, that's, that's exactly right, Justice Ginsburg, and I think that's what makes Tashian a, a much more difficult case from my side of the aisle uh, than this case. I mean, uh, Tashian was a, a right of association case, but it was indeed a case where uh, the Republican Party wanted to open up and, and invite uh, independents to join, to join in. But I, 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 as I understood your position to be, the party can make its own decision about what affiliation is sufficient uh, uh, or whether it requires an affiliation. And the party in Tastian made one decision. The parties here want to make a different one. And under the First Amendment, they have that choice. That's correct. Tashian, I mean, do I misunderstand? Tashian, Tashian is a slightly — I think there's two theories here. Tashian, if, if I could just speak colloquially, I, I think represents the people who practice in this field as a party sovereignty case. It's uh, — it essentially what, — what is distilled down to is that Tashian stands for the proposition that parties have at least, at least some rights to structure their own rules. Well, do you agree with that? I, I do indeed. I do indeed. But what I'm saying, I, I, I agree, yes, I do agree with Tashian. And I think that what we're dealing with here is a weighing test, but, and, and, and as, under Timmons, as, as this Court said, but under a weighing test, uh, the, the political association rights of parties have to be tested by what the real consequences are. So if the, sta- if the State required the Tashian result, uh, you would say that's unconstitutional? I think one could very easily say that that's unconstitutional, and then this court would have to, or a court would have to go through the weighing process. But, I mean, my my point with Tashian is I think that, one, the first element I think that under this court's test that you have to measure is, is there a severe burden on the party's associational rights? Whatever one can say about Tashian, I think here, where every California voter, 15 million of them, are invited to vote in every party's primary in each race with absolutely no right of affiliation, that is a very significant and, in fact, severe uh, infringement on, on party rights. Mr. Waters, are you — suppose the Court were to agree with your position. Are you seeking any kind of retroactive relief here? Presumably the recent elections were conducted under this scheme that you're challenging. Well, the answer is no. We're not seeking any kind of uh, retroactive relief here, and we haven't asked for any in the complaint. This was filed uh, almost within five months after the election where this — where Proposition 198 was — 
was adopted. There have been a number of uh, races under this, and uh, it, is, it is now clear that in a handful of them, and actually we don't know how many, that uh, the, the blanket primary has changed the results of elections. But did, did this case itself will have no direct effect on those cases. Did you make any argument um, that this is so confusing that it's detrimental to the party? Let me ask you this. There's, there were some 22 or 23 different uh, names listed in the presidential column in the recent primary? I, I, I think the argument we, we made is just — one of the arguments we made was, was the dilution of, of, of the ballot label, which might slough over to that. But it, I, I have to admit, Justice Kennedy, is that I, it did not dawn on me when I did the trial that there would be 23 names in the presidential primary ballot. There, there were 23 contestants. How is the there. order — how is the order of the name? It, it's randomized. And under California statute, it's, it's not by party, not by alphabetical order. There's a randomization. So you can, you can find a libertarian, a Democrat, a Republican, and then 10, uh, 10 spaces further down, you can find another Republican, and 15 spaces further down, you can find it. Any conceivable pattern is, is possible because it's totally random under statute. But you haven't argued that this confusion uh, dilutes the party uh, effectiveness? Well, I, I would focus on, on, on the dilution more than, than, the, than the confusion. But I, I think that, obviously, w- one — deliberate aspect of Proposition 198 was to invite people to cross over in each race and, and, and vote in other parties' primaries. The, the may, record may here I is ask something that I don't understand as a matter of fact? Uh, say I'm looking at the U.S. representative on the 2000 ballot, and it lists two Republicans. How, how are those candidates selected, the ones that do appear? The ones who are on the, the yes. 2000 ballot for a partisan office? Yes. They are uh, — they're self-selected. The parties have no, uh, no ability in California to vet the, uh, the candidates who choose to roast, run in their primaries. What happens is — let's take a Republican example. If uh, — let's just assume that I'm registered Republican. I want to run for Congress uh, as a Republican. I have to be a registered Republican, and I have to not have been registered in any other party 12 months bef- — well, actually 24 months before the general election. Then I take out nomination papers, and the number that — comes to mind. I pay a fee, and I have to get, I believe, 40 to 60 signatures. I could be wrong about that. And then Must I will those care. signatures be all uh, Republican? They would be — In other words, when you petition to get on the ballot as a Republican, do the people then have to uh, support you? Could they be Democrats? Could they be independents? I believe the answer to that is that they have to be members of the, of the, of the party uh, whose nomination that you are seeking. If that's the case, then, and you, you agree, I take it, that given the, in the West there is a tradition of um, nonpartisan elections. So I, I guess the state could say we're going to have a nonpartisan gubernatorial election. Anybody can run, top two run off. You agree with that? I, I do not see any constitutional right. limitation. If that's so, then picking up with, with uh, what Justice Ginsburg said, why couldn't they say that's what we, that's the system we want with one qualification? We want the runoff between to be between whoever calls himself a Republican and gets the most votes versus whoever calls himself a Democrat and gets the most votes. That's our system. Now, now we're not trying to strengthen the parties or weaken them. They're out of it. That's our system for selecting the governor. I think the use of the party label in that situation uh, creates constitutional issues. I because think that because I think the question there, and I, I, I guess you're hy- hypothesizing a Louisiana situation. is Well, I, I'm hypothesizing what could be California. I mean, 
we're going to have the top person who calls himself a Republican run off against the top person who calls himself a Democrat. I think if the system is structured so that the public perceives them as nominees uh, of the parties whose, whose labels they are using, I think there is a constitutional issue there. So, so wouldn't the public begin to understand it after it was used once? I and think you all said, you know, this isn't really a Republican. It's just somebody out there who calls himself one or a Democrat. I think I, I, I think that's an empirical question, uh, and I can't answer it right now. But I, I, I really think, I guess my general answer to, to that line of questioning is that I have no doubt that California, although none of the parties would, would, would before you prefer it, I don't think there's any constitutional problem with California or any state adopting uh, nonpartisan primary elections. I mean, I, there's, I, I just don't see it. But having said that, once, once the party names come into the mix, uh, it, it changes things. And I think in California, it is clearly true that, uh, that the public didn't want to adopt a nonpartisan system. It, was, it wasn't presented to them. And I think as, as a reality, uh, and I, this is an empirical question, that people actually take very seriously voting for a Democrat or a Republican. What, a, what about a nonpartisan general election? What, what, could the state say, you know, we're just going to have a, we don't want any party identifications for the candidates for the general election? I believe, I believe a state could constitutionally do that, Your Honor. And I believe, I'm not sure, I mean, there, there's 50 states, and one thing I've learned through this, that, that there are essentially 50 different variations of systems, but I believe that, I believe that Nebraska. I'm not sure that Nebraska uses labels on, on the on the general election ballot for its for its legislative offices. But I, in any event, I believe that that would be constitutional, Your Honor, and it would be constitutional from our way of looking at it because the parties would not be in a position of sacrif- of having their name used by people who are in fact not supported by um, the members of the individual parties. In that system, I'm sure that the parties would get their favorite candidates on somehow and they would run outside of the system. Your well, case should be brought under the Lanham Act. <laughs> well, well, well why, why, why isn't that true in this case? Can't the parties, by pre-election endorsements uh, or, 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 or pre-election uh, criticism or disavowals, uh, make their, their party position no? Well, I have two answers to that. First, the most significant endorsement is the nomination itself. I mean, the parties are coerced here to put their nomination on, on candidates who, who will appear on the ballot as libertarian. They, indeed, it is indeed true that uh, uh, due to a, a constitutional decision coming out of this court that, uh, that uh, parties can endorse whomever they like, but it would put the, uh, the libertarian in the party in the situation of having um, their own candidate, a libertarian-anointed candidate on the ballot, held out to the public as their representative, and then um, then trying to get somebody else on. I'm trying to get somebody else on. Let me just say that the parties cannot get nominees on the ballot any other way. I mean, there there is no, well, it would, no it means. It would be their California. choice. If there were two people that were qualified libertarian, then the, the libertarian party wouldn't have to choose. But if there was one uh, that really did not in the party's view, uh, represent uh, the values and, and, and the programs of the party, then the party could say so. The, par- the party in the, during in, the primary yeah, election, say, certainly they, the, party, the party could say that, yes. Well, well why, why doesn't that cure the problem that, that, that you're concerned with? 
Because the, pro- the problem with that is the universe of voters who are going to choose that nominee are not the libertarian electorate. It's, it's the entire — it is 15 million voters in the state of California. But at least you can make known to the voters that you, the libertarian party in the hypothetical case, prefer this particular candidate. That is, that is indeed true. I do not deny that. But I, I don't think that conforms with the Constitution, which this Court has said allows parties to choose standard bearers of their own choice. I mean, despite — even though the endorsement process could go on there, that — the candidate, the winner of that race, would not be chosen by, by, by members of the, of the Libertarian Party. And the Libertarian Party, I, th- I think, is a very good example to discuss here because — they are a very small party. They, uh, I mean, they do not have the wherewithal. I mean, if there's some kind of empirical justification required here, the Libertarian Party does not have the wherewithal to go out to 15 million voters in California and buy airtime and say, Joe's a good uh, Libertarian and Ed isn't. Uh, You think that interest is so strong that it warrants throwing out? I mean, if it's valid as the Republicans and Democrats, is it invalid as a whole because of the Libertarians? Is there some way of splitting it? I didn't see how. No, I don't. I'm not. I'm not aware of a way to split it, Your Honor. I I think that it is. uh, I think the Libertarians are a particularly dramatic example of what can happen. But I think each party in California is is in the same position with uh, with Proposition 198. Does the record show whether there's significant crossover voting or voting by members of different party for the minor parties like libertarians? I would assume most people who vote for a libertarian candidate would be libertarians. I mean, is, do the Democrats try and jimmy up the libertarian nominee? Before this case, I would have made the, the same assumption, Justice Stevens. And um, what, the, what the record shows is there was, ex, there was an expert uh, report um, provided by uh, uh, Richard Winger who — on the basis of um, historical voting patterns in California, he, at trial, he testified that he believed in minor party primaries that the number of voters from outside the party would outnumber the number of voters from inside the party. Now, there are two lodgings before this court, which are not in the record. Let me, let me make that clear. But there are results from the 1998 and 2000 election. And uh, in the, in the uh, 1998 ele- uh, election, uh, an incidents, three incidents, which are in our opening brief, there are, there are three incidents where in a libertarian primaries, I think there are assembly races, the uh, number of voters voting in those races was actually about two and a half times the number of registered libertarians in those districts. Now, I don't know how many of the libertarians actually voted, but my point is that the ratio is actually two and a half to one at the very least. Two and a half, the two and a half being people who are not registered libertarians nominating those libertarian voters. So, I mean, one question Your Honor might ask is, why does that happen? Uh, I, I mean, uh, we could all speculate a, about it, but there's uh, — does, th- does it indicate, for example, is a particularly well-known libertarian? I mean, Michael Jordan running on the libertarian ticket or something like that? <laughs> I think uh, there, none of them were, were particularly well-known, Your Honor. But I think the fact that what the libertarians testified about at trial is, if they have the only female nominee in, in a race where there are eight males — some percentage of the electorate will vote, will vote uh, for the female. If they have the only Hispanic nominee with a Hispanic name in a race where they're, they're the only Hisp- uh, Hispanic, then there will be this, this flooding effect. So, Mr. Waters, do, does, the, yes, ma'am. does the party have the, the choice of opting out of this whole system, picking its candidate whatever way it, it likes, and then petitioning to put that candidate on the ballot for the general election? No, it does not, Your Honor. California law, dating back from 19 — well, before 1908, 
the whole goal of California law was to bring the parties within the system to, to, to democratize them. The only way a party could go off the ballot, it would be to uh, take the Democratic Party. The only way it would get off the ballot is if no statewide candidate got more than 2 percent of the vote at the previous election and their registration fell below 1 percent of, um, of the um, of the total registration in the state. But there's absolutely no way that a political party itself volitionally can, can check out of the primary process. Well, it has to be. The whole process is there to, to bring them in. I mean, that's, that's, that's the whole structure. So I'd like to. I, I guess we have upheld the right of a state to direct that primary parties uh, have to have a primary election rather than a caucus to select candidates. I mean, that's a concept we've accepted, apparently. That I, I believe, reading this Court's opinion, that, that yes, indeed, you, and you yet have. And that's a, a tremendously intrusive burden on a political party's right as well, isn't it? We, we agree with that, Your Honor. We, we agree that in, the, in California, with the United States is distinctive and that there are many significant intrusions on party associational rights. We think this case presents the question whether there is any limit to what the state can do vis-a-vis associational rights. And if I could, I would like to reserve any time I have left. Very well, Mr. Waters. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Getty, we'll hear from you. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, after 30 years of declining voter turnout in primary elections, California voters have acted to allow uh, millions of additional voters to fully participate in the primary election, and the results have been dramatic. Uh, with the highest voter turnout in 16 years in the last gubernatorial primary, the highest in 20 years in this year's presidential primary, the voters acted in their own interest to increase that voter participation and turnout, is, give them — Is the fundamental assumption of the amendment that it's for the voters to tell the Republican Party or the Democratic Party what those parties should stand for? No, the fundamental assumption <laughs> is that the election belongs to the voters. It belongs to the individuals well, I'm who — I'm not sure how that's different from the postulate I, I suggested. I'm not sure I understand the question. Well, then, why, why isn't the — the theory of this law that is for the voters to tell the Republican parties what it should stand for in the state of California? Well, that is precisely what the open primary does. It allows the voters to decide uh, in the primary to election. To decide the message of the particular party. Well, Prop 198 is. And I, I just wonder uh, whether that's valid. I mean, the very essence of the party's First Amendment right is to define its own message and send out its own candidate. It doesn't have to be more representative if it doesn't want to be, does it? I mean, this is a remarkable proposition you're putting forward. Uh, No, Your Honor, um, Justice O'Connor, what's remarkable here is that the voters decided to treat the primary election as an election. It is where they decide to vote on the candidates that go to office and represent them in the State House. Or you, you, you could have an open, nonpartisan primary and decide that only the first five people on that nonpartisan primary will automatically go on the general election ballot. But that's not what you've done. You haven't let the people select who are going to be the candidates among whom they will choose. You've let the people select who the Republican Party nominee is going to be and who the Democratic Party nominee is going to be, rather than letting Republicans select it and Democrats select it. That, that's that's quite correct. Different. 
That's correct, Justice Scalia. What we're allowing voters to do is to select their candidates for office. The nominees. No, not select their candidates. You're allowing them to select the Republican Party's candidates, whether they're Republicans or not. The candidates you, carry. You the could party. achieve what you're after if you're saying all we want to do is let the people select who the candidates for office should be. You could achieve that not by forcing the Republicans to accept a candidate that the, that the Republicans don't want. You could achieve it by simply having a nonpartisan primary. Let the voters select who the five most popular people are, and they'll get on the ballot. Wouldn't that achieve the same thing as you're doing here? Certainly, Justice Scalia. If you have a nonpartisan ballot, uh, it is a lesser burden on the parties than uh, uh, than any other form of uh, primary here. But in answering both Justice O'Connor and, and Justice Ginsburg. Uh, or Justice Ginsburg's questions about whether an open primary is any different than a blanket primary here. Um, in, in reality, what you're talking about is uh, uh, 23 states of the union don't even have a requirement of voter affiliation. An individual, can, a voter, can walk into the poll and say, eh, I think I'll be a Republican today or I think I'll be a Democrat today. There's no requirement in most of these states that have open primaries any differently than a blanket primary state, to affiliate right on the spot and have some sort of act that says, I'm a Republican. The candidate carries the ballot. Well, you have to be a Republican that day anyway. And and, and you cannot vote for non-Republican candidates. By by making that commitment, at least you're excluding yourself from voting for candidates to other parties, right, which is not the case in California. That is, that is correct. You can determine the Republican Party nominee for one office and the Democratic Party nominee for another office. That's correct. This is, this is if each race is a separate yeah. individual ballot. So there is absolutely no commitment to a particular party, not even for the day. That's correct. Which but there is in the other primaries. Not in, not in any open primary in which they don't even have to uh, indicate what their preference is or what their affiliation is. What, what is the state's interest in allowing an ever-changing galaxy of voters in a particular election to tell the party who its representative must be, quite without respect to their own, to to the voters' own party affiliation. What's the state's interest? The state's interest is what the voters themselves expressed they wanted. A majority of voters, including the rank and file of the Republicans and Democrats, impressive majorities of Republicans and Democrats and probably minor party voters as well, all said, we want greater choice on the ballot. We want greater turnout. 1.5 million independent voters now have the opportunity to vote in the primary election. It's, it necessarily increases the base and well, the appeal. Well, that seems to me o- almost circular. You're saying that it's constitutional because the voters want it, but that's not usually an adequate uh, description of a state interest when the state is uh, regulating or interfering or restricting associational rights. I- I'm sorry if I misstated Just because all the people want to restrict associational rights, that it seems to me an insufficient state interest. The, the, the interest is indeed compelling. The interest is to provide a g- broader base for the candidates to appeal to. The voters get greater choice. They bring in 1.5 million additional independent voters. They get more competitive elections as a result. There's a greater representative, representativeness among those candidates and the elected officials. And in answering Justice O'Connor's question, that is not saying uh, on any basis of ideology or viewpoint. It's simply — it's just civics. The more people you have voting, the more representative the candidates are going to be. But although your criterion may not be an ideological criterion, 
my understanding, and, and you tell me if I'm wrong, is that the, the virtues that you extol are inseparable from uh, a feature that seems to go with the system, and that is uh, more centrist candidates, so that it seems to me inseparable from what you claim are its virtues, uh, that there is a change in content of the political message of the people who are being selected. No, Justice Souter, I, I, I don't believe that's correct. The, the voters knew instinctively that bringing in more voters, uh, including all of the independents in California, the fastest-growing block of voters, was that they were going to get candidates that are more representative of their points of view. That doesn't necessarily mean that it pulls it to the middle. What's well, that's, that's, that's — what's, what's regardless of where it pulls it, it pulls it in the direction of, in effect, an imposed content. Uh, modification. No, Your Honor, I disagree. There's no content to this at all. What's what's representative in San Francisco is not going to be what's representative in Orange County. It simply means that more voters that well, get... Well, I'm not suggesting that there's anything in the statute that determines what the content will be. That's right. But the statute, it seems to me, is inseparable uh, from a regime in which uh, the popular choice of voters will determine the content of the message attributed to a given political party. I don't think that's right, Justice Souter. I think that all the more that's happening is independent voters, and voters are uh, stepping forward and indicating their choice for uh, for the office. The political parties are not uh, private autonomous organizations. Why not? I mean, what about the party that does not want to be representative? It thinks the country's going in the wrong direction. It knows the majority wants to go that way. But it wants to send out a message, a clarion call, to call the country back to the, to, to, to the right road. And it wants to select a candidate who will do that. And your system says, oh, no, we'll have massive participation, so the majority will come in and say, yeah, we like the road we're going on. Justice, is, is, that, is that what the democratic system is supposed to produce? Justice Scalia, there is nothing constitutionally suspect about the majority, uh, uh, majority, majoritarian rule here. The greater number of voters that I don't mind majoritarian rule at the point of election. But at the point of campaigning and of trying to persuade the people, you're saying you cannot even have a party candidate who wants to go in the wrong direction. The majority will decide what's the right direction. That's right. This is an election. We won't even debate about going in the other direction because we'll be sure to select candidates who agree with the majority. Well, Justice Scalia, this is the this is the election that belongs to the voters, in which the first cut when candidates are narrowed, these candidates will be their elected representatives in the state house or for governor. Well, this is the precise time when the party ought to be able to make its own selection for the spokesperson to run in the general election, to articulate the the stand and the views that the party wants the voters to have a chance to hear. That's precisely the point at which the associational interest of the party is at its zenith. And for the state to come in and say, no, you have to be more representative here, is simply to change the message. And I I think if if the party — do you acknowledge that the party has any associational right? You do? Protected by the First Amendment? Yes, Justice. What's left? If this can stand, what what this court has done in Timmins is established a balancing test that looks at those important and legitimate First Amendment interests of the political parties and balances them against the legitimate interests of the state. In this case, it's the voters, the voters themselves. This isn't a classic case of the state uh, trenching. Tell on me what would remain after your so-called balancing test of of a party's right at all. 
it has it has the right to do just what Justice Kennedy suggested, call for and endorse uh, before the primary or at any point whatsoever uh, an, an endorsement of the Central Committee or whatever the current party leadership chooses to do. But the voters are themselves uh, participating in the election process. You mean you say the answer is to let the party tell the voters before the primary election which candidate they support? Certainly, under you, this court has already said the party is free to do that. But normally, parties use primary elections to let the registered voters in that party tell the party what candidate the party members select. Well, Well, in this case, you have the voters themselves, many of whom are party members, many of whom are independents, who... Uh, want the opportunity to participate in that narrowing process. The election, in their view, belongs to them. When they voted on Prop 198, they knew that closed primaries were not working in California. They were contributing to lower voter turnout, alienation, gridlock. Uh, they knew instinctively that... Th- that Acne, all, all sorts of things. I, 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 right. Well, it was increasing... Increasing Gridlock? I mean, God, the traffic problems in L.A. are attributed to this thing, too? What they knew, what they knew, Justice Scalia, was it was contributing to excessive partisanship and partisan strife, and that that has contributed to alienation and has in it has resulted in 30 years of decreased participation in voter turnout. Well, what if a party takes the position that we think legislative gridlock is good because there are too many laws on the books already? Uh, isn't that party going to be at least partially deterred by this system? I, I think this — I think Prop 198, by making the elected representatives more representative of the voters in their district, will mean that the — that those who do go to the State House are going to be clearly more accountable to the voters. The voters want their elected officials to be accountable. I don't want to be representative, says this party. I do not want to be representative. That They're all going in the wrong direction. What is that party supposed to do? Well, if it's one the of the state is saying you will be representative, but I don't want to be representative. <laughs> I want to I, get I, off in a new direction. You can't do it, Justice Scalia. I don't understand uh, what is undemocratic about. It's very democratic. It's it's wonderfully democratic, but usually we we let parties put up candidates, and we we exercise the democratic rights in the election. But you're saying parties can't even put up candidates. We're going to extend democracy one one step earlier and not even let any parties put up people whom the majority doesn't like. That, that doesn't, you know, that's well, democracy carried to an extreme, it, 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 to, to the tyranny of the majority. Justice Scalia, just, uh, uh, Judge Levy below balanced the interest and looked at what kind of burdens are put on the political parties by any crossover voting and found those burdens not to be severe. He, he had expert testimony based on the solid experience in the state of Washington, the state of Alaska, political scientists and experts who came to the court and, and said, well, th- this is what the burden is. And the burden was found to be minor. The burden was found not to be significant uh, to the degree what, that it was what severe. Did, how, what did they say the burden was, albeit they said it was minor? The principal burden that I think Judge Levy found 
was, was significant was that it would have a dampening effect on the disciplining uh, by the party, the party officials, the party leadership, on those legislators who go off with a charter, with a more representative charter, to, say, the State House. And, uh, and he said that that is, a, that is a burden. It is significant. This is a balancing that this Court has applied. But it is not a severe burden. Uh, it it well, has a dampening any, Is effect. there any indication that the nominees that have emerged from this blanket primary are different from the nominees that would emerge if you had a closed party primary? I'm not, I'm not sure the I understand. people who appear on this ballot, that's it, right. Republican, Democrat, is there any indication that they would have been, that the winners would have been different if California still had the closed primary? I, 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 don't, I don't know the answer to that question. Uh, there will be races that will be determined by crossover vote, whether but, crossover but wasn't, vote. wasn't wasn't the uh, objective of having different candidates uh, prevail in the primary the precise uh, justification uh, for this statute? For this, uh, yes. for this constitutional uh, yes. amendment, the, the voters, the voters expected and anticipated crossover votes would make a difference. Independents and even people from the other party voting for a candidate of their first choice, they are voting for the candidate that they want. The whole purpose was of the of, of the constitutional amendment is to uh, nominate different people than would have been nominated otherwise. Potentially, the court found that uh, generally it only affected the margin of outcome and not the outcome. Uh, Itself, but that shouldn't make any constitutional difference because uh, the voters are voting for the candidates that they want to go on to office, and the burden on the parties was not severe, and the interests here were compelling, getting more people uh, to the polls. Those ballots also have nonpartisan races, judicial confirmations, bond issues, all kinds of things on them. We have a solid and important and compelling interest what is in bringing more people. What is your response to what I'm now thinking of as the Lanham Act problem? That is, when they come to the final uh, election, they're labeled Republican and Democrat, and that suggests that they're the candidates of the, the, the parties might support, and they, they aren't. They're just someone who happens to call himself a Republican who gets more votes than anyone else who calls himself a Republican, etc. Justice Breyer, that's no different in a closed primary in California than under a blanket or an open. Can't, it's a self-selecting system. Anybody can run for office and say, I'm a Republican, and get their name on the ballot. And then it's up to the party. If the party organization doesn't like that candidate. Well, well I have one other question, a different, slightly different topic. I'd like to hear what you have to say about what I think of as the Libertarian Party problem. Sure. I mean, perhaps it's just a side issue, but on the other hand, it's important to them. So what they're saying that, that they, as I take it, can find themselves with a candidate for governor who may re just reflect random factors, nothing to do with the libertarian philosophy. Do you know, am I, have I said enough to point to what I'm worried about? What are we supposed to do about that? Because none of your compelling interests, etc., deal with the burden that it imposes upon them. The burden is no different for them than it is for a major party. If their interest is in getting somebody elected to office, what burden is it for them? This is an opportunity for them. They get more support. They have a platform for greater visibility. They have the opportunity to appeal to a broader constituency. Well, I bet as they see it, rather than, say, as, as you see it, as they see it, as I understand it, they say, here we have a party that's committed to an ideal. And if we can stay committed to it, we will, in fact, eventually persuade people. 
But we cannot stay committed to that ideal when, because of random considerations, basically, we find ourselves saddled with a gubernatorial candidate who may not even share that ideal. And all of the compelling reasons you've given really have nothing to do with us, say the small parties. Justice Breyer, the small parties are getting the votes of people who sincerely want that candidate. If that candidate wins in the election as the nominee of the Libertarian Party, that candidate won precisely because that candidate attracted the votes to it of people who now, whether it's a marginal affiliation or not, decide, you know, I'm really a Libertarian when it comes to that office, and I want that candidate for office. And so what's the, what's the burden there? It's neither a burden on their desire to expand their base and become and, and eventually win, which is one of their goals, nor is it even a burden on their expressive rights, their, their willingness to, their, their desire to get their message across. If they're solely there for an expressive purpose, then why are they doing that at public expense on a public ballot? Uh, the, the elections are not solely for, the, the, for expression. Ballots aren't uh, fora for expression. They're to get people elected to office. Right. We should drive, just drive out all those parties that don't stand much of a chance. I mean, I don't know why you even let the 2% two part, two parties in. Uh, they're, they're, they're just there to try to disseminate their ideas. Well, Justice Scalia, there's nothing wrong with that either. I mean, uh, clearly, in both campaigns and in elections, there are elements of expression, and there are elements of, importantly, getting uh, uh, officials elected to office. Mr. Getty, what, what do you do with Tastian? Uh, bear in mind, I dissented in Tastian because I thought the state could tell a party without affecting its associational interests. You have to have a closed primary. But if, if that is unconstitutional, as we said, because that somehow interferes too much with the party's associational rights. How could it possibly not interfere even more with the party's associational rights to say you cannot have a closed primary? Because, Justice Scalia, this case is not like Tashian. There, one party was in power and actually ganged up on another power. And your powerful dissent went to the state's power to uh, protect the party in that particular situation. This isn't that. This is where uh, the voters have decided they want to open up. All of the — this is all of the, all of the parties, all of the voters, every demographic subgroup, majorities all across the board saying, we want the chance to vote in our primary election, in the first cut of the election, for those who are going to go off and represent us. And this and case cash- would be different if, in fact, a Democratic legislature had imposed exactly the same requirement over the objection of the Republicans but not the Democrats. I think that would fall squarely under Tashton and would be unconstitutional. Tastian doesn't say it looks to factors like that. Well, it, it, it doesn't say it expressly, but if you look at Tastian, I think it, it, it's what it's doing is it's employing the same test. And you were so persuaded by my dissent, you, you say that's the only conceivable explanation of the matter. <laughs> is that right? Yeah. It, it is a slightly different situation, Justice Scalia, and, and this Court basically used the test that uh, eventually emerged in Timmons. It derived from Burdick. It derived from Anderson versus Celebrezzi. And you look to those burdens and see whether those burdens could be uh, justified uh, or outweighed by any state. Uh, I, want to make, I want to make sure I understand. The, the, the First Amendment operates differently if the statute is imposed by a legislature than by a referendum? No, I don't think that makes any difference here. But what is different here is that where the voters acted in their own First Amendment interest, you don't have the classic case of the state trenching upon the First Amendment rights of the party. You have the First Amendment interests of the voters 
competing with the First Amendment interests of the political parties. And when those two sets of First Amendment interests are in equipoise, as the NYU uh, Brennan Center amicus brief put it, they, they really shouldn't be disturbed. They are, uh, they are First Amendment interests that are shared by all. And when I, I had thought, perhaps, that Tastian was a case where the justification fell in the legislature saying, we will tell you who really is the Republican Party. While here, the part, the, the legislature is saying, we're not so interested, frankly. We can see that this is weakening the parties, and we're doing it for other reasons. Yes, sir. Now, you haven't accepted that, so I'm prepared to jettison my, my the, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the voters here spoke to it. And the, and so you say the legislature doesn't represent the will of the people? No, the you, you say that as the Attorney General of the State of California, the legislature can't represent the will of the people? No, the legislature clearly can uh, uh, represent the will of the people, particularly when it is representative of their views. Yeah, yes, but you're telling me that the result should be different depending on whether there's a legislative, whether there's a statute or a constitutional amendment. No, I'm sorry if it came out wrong, but I, I believe that it should not make any constitutional difference whether this was passed by initiative or by the so legislature. Then, so then all of the arguments in the brief that the people of the state of California selected this are irrelevant? No, Your Honor. I thought the hypothetical was if one party in power imposed a restriction on the other party. There's always one party in power in the line. I don't know any legislature that isn't right. majority one party, majority the other party. So if it gets to the legislature, it's always going to have to be uh, imposed by one party, I assume. Yes, Your Honor, but the hypothetical from Justice Breyer, if I understood it correctly, was a restriction. the restriction would be on just one party. In this case, it opens up and expands and permits all parties, all voters, to participate in the primary election. It's not a burden on one party or the other. It is non-discriminatory. Well, that Chaskin was, was non-discriminatory. It was imposed on all sides, well, right? Yes, but Your there Honor. you say it was... It was imposed by one party, namely the party that controlled the legislature, right? Justice Scalia, the effect of the uh, legislative decision in Tashin was to hobble the other party. The other party wanted to expand its base of membership. It wanted to uh, attract the independents. And the party in power in the legislature was saying, you can't do that. I could, couldn't, couldn't the party uh, that, that wants to expand, as, as you think these parties do, couldn't it conduct a public opinion poll? Is there any reason why the majority... Uh, of citizens has to use the primary for that purpose? Well, the the primary, Justice Scalia, is, uh, as this Court has said, uh, an important first cut, integral part of the electoral process in which people elect uh, their candidates to office, and they become governor, and they become their legislative representatives, and they become their members of Congress. Uh, why are we allowing the, the party tail to wag the dog? This is about elections, and this is about the voters having the right to elect the candidates for office. But suppose the voters or the legislature says, you know, there are some parties that are so far out, we're just going to outlaw them. I mean, surely they couldn't do that. Uh, again, this Court has provided, a, 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 provided a, a construct in which to examine that and the test that it has in Timmins. And it may be that the state won't have compelling enough interest to overcome whatever burdens would be placed on parties under the Well, it's certainly a rather severe burden to be outlawed, I would think. It may well be. And, <laughs> a uh, fatal uh, burden. <laughs> a, court would look, a court would look at that under the test that this Court has provided. May I ask you a stupid question? I'm trying to find out the source of the Constitution, you know, both sides. And Article 1, Section 4 says that the times and places and manners of holding elections and so forth shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. 
Is it permissible for an open, for a, a ballot initiative like that to replace the legislature? Yes, in California, uh, the initiative uh, the initiative is uh, the initiative power uh, is a legislative power. And, um, but and, the people and the, at the large are not the legislature. Are they within the meaning of that, that provision? Well, I, I, I don't know the full answer to that question. If the legislature means that the legislative power or if it means the, the body in which the uh, uh, elected uh, representatives sit, I, I don't have an answer beyond that. Were the framers aware of initiative and referenda? No, of course not. Uh, to my knowledge, I, I, I don't know that they sure, they, they weren't were aware, aware of political parties either, I don't suppose. That's correct also. I mean, there, there were no uh, political parties, and, and uh, people came to the uh, polls and elected the candidates they wanted uh, for office. In sum, if I may, uh, if this Court were to accept the petitioner's argument that just allowing outsiders in uh, were to severely burden the party to the degree that it's uh, unconstitutional, uh, this total party autonomy approach, it would in California, as Professor Eugene Lee has pointed out, decrease voter turnout again. It would increase alienation with the parties and the party leadership, something that's already there. It would increase the, in, the independence, getting a, a larger registration, and it frankly would weaken the two-party system. More importantly, as Justice O'Connor asked earlier, it would jeopardize all of the open primaries across the country and primaries that allow same-day registration and par- uh, states that don't even require recordation or uh, allow people to maintain their party affiliation in private. Ultimately, the uh, thrust of that argument is down the slippery slope that even primaries themselves uh, could not stand up against that argument of total party autonomy. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you, Mr. Getty. Uh, Mr. Waters, you have two minutes remaining. Mr. Chief Justice, I have nothing to add to my previous argument. I'd be delighted to answer any questions from the Court. The case is submitted. Thank you, Your Honor. The Honorable Court is now adjourned until tomorrow at 10 o'clock.